All right, well, welcome today. Glad to have you here today. Uh, great, great to have you back, especially if you've been gone for part or all of this summer. I hope you had a, I hope you had a great summer. I hope it was just fun and relaxing and restful and, and that you're kind of looking forward to this fall season. Uh, Newell and I and our family, we had a great summer. Uh, we, uh, I did uh, the things that I love doing. I hung out with friends. We did pickleball, which is something new for us. We're getting into that. And I went to Dairy Queen as often as I possibly could. Uh, so it was a good summer. One of the highlights for us this summer was that some really good friends of ours invited us out to a Soyuz, and they have a boat. And so we got to go wake surfing. And if you don't know what wake surfing is, wake surfing is when a motorboat produces a big enough wake behind it that you can literally surf behind it. And if you don't know what uh, wake surfing uh, looks like, uh, here is a, uh, a picture of what it looks like. Check this out. That's so cool. I mean, that's wake surfing. And that's what I did this summer. Except for this is what my wake surfing looked like. Same but different, right? I mean, it turns out that if you want to be great at wake surfing, that you have to practice a fair bit. And what you saw there was me after a bunch of practicing, but... Uh, Clearly not enough yet, but it's my best so far. To get that far, I mean, I had to get uh, some teaching. Someone had to teach me. Then I had to get off that nice, warm, dry boat and into the water. I had to let that boat drag me behind itself a couple of times before I actually got up. And then, and then when I was wake surfing, I hold a, a rope. But if you get good at it, you actually throw the rope onto the boat, and then you just literally surf behind the boat. That's, that's the goal. That, that's that's the plan. And even though I didn't get there, I mean, even what I got to do was so cool. You just feel like alive and, it, and it's fun and there's this joy and there's an excitement about it. But it takes practice. To be great at something, to be great at anything requires practice. And, and this is what we want to talk about today when it comes to following Jesus. We've been in this series over the last couple of weeks about being formed spiritually, to be formed to be like Jesus. And a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Dan was talking to us, he showed us uh, this chart. He said, like, this is what is necessary to become formed like Jesus. Four elements. Teaching, practice, community, and right in the middle of all, all of it, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, in the church in the West, we are strong on the teaching part. I mean, we have such good teaching available to us. You can get on your phone day or night in an instant the best Christian teachers in the world. And if, you, and if you want more than that, there's all kinds of books that you can order. And if you want to go deeper and get more technical, you can get commentaries and lexicons and interlinear Bibles. And if you really want to go deep, you can learn to read the Bible in the original languages. There is no shortage of great solid teaching for us in this part of the world when it comes to following Jesus. The parts that we need to work on are the community and the practice. And that's what we want to talk about today. You know, in Jesus' most famous teaching, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, although it's likely that he taught that many and multiple times in all kinds of different places. 
when he would teach what it was to be a follower of him, he would, he would talk about very real things about life, how to deal with anger and hatred, and, and what about divorce and, uh, and adultery and revenge and, and giving to the needy and praying and fasting and how you spend your money and, and what to do about anxiety and, and judging others. I mean, he has these very real teachings for real life. But if you know his sermon that he preaches, he says, you have heard it said, in other words, Moses said this, but I say to you, and every time he does it, he takes what Moses says and he ratchets it up. He calls his followers to a higher standard, to a higher obedience. And he has these commandments for how it is to live. And at the beginning of that sermon, just before he launches into all of that, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says this. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands... And teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You hear that? I mean, Jesus is saying, look, if you want to be great in his kingdom, if you want to become more like him, if you want to see him work through you, if you want to experience a joy and an excitement and aliveness in your faith, if you want to be great in his kingdom, you have to practice what he preaches. You have to actually do what he calls you to do. Here's what Jesus says. He says, his greatness requires practice. It requires action. It requires doing. You don't become great at wake surfing just by watching others. You can learn something about it by looking at YouTube videos. But the way that you become great at wake surfing is to get out of the boat and into the water and actually try it and actually do it. And the same when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. You can learn a certain amount by sitting and listening to teaching, by studying your Bible, all good and important. But if you want to be great, if you want to be effective, if you want God to work in your life in beautiful and brilliant ways, you have to practice what Jesus preaches. The problem is that too often, instead of doing what Jesus calls us to, we are mooing. You know what I mean by that? I mean, instead of doing, it's like this, mmm, ah, that's a good point, Pastor. Mmm, 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 mmm. Mmm, that's, that's really convicting. Honey, are you going to do what we're talking about today? Mm, mm, mm. Mm, mm. Mm, mm. Yeah, me neither, me neither. But I'm going to share it in my community group tomorrow night. It's so amazing, it's so interesting, but mm-hmm. doesn't seem that practical. Seems kind of risky and a little over the top. Mm-mm-mm. And what we do, we end up spending our time mooing instead of doing what Jesus calls us to do. The temptation, when we, when we understand what Jesus really calls us to do, the temptation is to, is to, to dumb it down a little bit, to, to tame it, to, to make it more reasonable for us who are middle-class people uh, uh, living in this part of the world. That's what Jesus warns us about in the first part of this verse that we're looking at today. He says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands, another translation puts it this way, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments. That's our temptation, isn't it? I mean, we say, mm, I'm sure he didn't really mean it that way. Or he, he can't actually be expecting me to take that kind of a risk. 
or if he understood my situation, he wouldn't ask me to do something like that. And we tame what Jesus says, or we simply outright ignore it. I mean, we moo instead of do. We say, oh, that would be good, but that doesn't, I'm not really going to do that. And, and Jesus warns us not to fall into this temptation. He, here's what he says. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Ouch. I mean, Jesus doesn't pull any punches here, does he? He, he, he says, look, if you soften what he requires so that it, it requires little or nothing from you, then, then you, then we become less and less in the kingdom of, of God. Then following Jesus becomes boring and monotonous, humdrum, just more information to learn, another idea to hear about. And we become less or even least in the kingdom of God. You see, greatness requires practice. It requires us to do what he says. Look, there's this, there's this great story in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10. If you read just before the story, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the cost of discipleship, of following him. And he says things like this. He says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then the next guy comes up and he's like, oh yeah, you, you follow me and let the dead follow their own, dead bury them, their own dead. And then he says to the next guy, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. He has all of these things that he teaches them and talks about them. And then Luke says this, Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him into every town and place he was about to go. Jesus says, enough talk. Now it's time to do. Now it's time to practice. And so he sends them out with these instructions. He says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He gives his disciples a vision for what God wants to do through them. He says, look, there is a great harvest out there. There is great need. There is an incredible hunger for the life that, that, that comes through God. We just need people to go and actually do it. And if they do, they'll be part of this incredible harvest. I mean, do you have that kind of a vision? Do you believe that God will work through you if you are faithful to do what he calls you to do? Have you got any idea what he wants to do in your life and the life of the people around you if you actually are faithful to do whatever Jesus calls you to do? He sends the disciples out with this incredible vision for what he wants to do. And you can imagine the disciples saying, yeah, Jesus, that's great. Okay, we're going to go into the harvest. Yeah, yeah. What else, Jesus? And so Jesus says next, he says, go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. And they'd be like, yeah, like lambs among wolves. Whoa, 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 Jesus. Can you say that last part again? Because lambs among wolves sounds uh, not so good. It sounds risky. And in fact, it is. It's incredibly risky to be lambs among wolves. But Jesus doesn't say, oh, yeah. Hmm, let me fix that for you. No, no, the rest of the passage, if you read it, is him explaining how to go about the risky things that he is calling his disciples to do. See, if you're going to practice what Jesus teaches you to, it's going to require you to take all kinds of risks. C.S. Lewis, uh, he, he writes this. 
If I'm sure of anything, I'm sure that Jesus' teaching was never meant to confirm my inborn preference for safe investments and limited liabilities. It's not what Jesus' teachings are about. Elton Trueblood writes this. Faith, when we think about it, is not merely intellectual assent to a set of propositions, a set of beliefs, but the supreme gamble in which we stake our lives upon a conviction. It is closer to courage than it is to mere belief. What Trueblood says is this. Genuine faith is not so much about, here's the things I believe. It's about courage to actually live it out. It's about taking risks. It's about not just knowing what Jesus says, but doing what he says when it's hard, when it's scary, when you have no idea what the outcome is going to be if you actually do what Jesus says to do. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, if you want to experience the life, transformation, the joy, and the excitement of following Jesus, then here's the thing. Greatness requires risks. Now, this summer, I went uh, kayaking with a good friend of mine. We've been friends for, I don't know, 30 years now. And, uh, and I knew his kids when they were little. I watched them grow up, and we get together once in a while. Uh, and uh, when we went out, uh, he said, i got to tell you about an experience that my son had. Now, his son grew up in a Christian home, ended up in his late teens and his, and his early 20s simply abandoning the faith. He lived a, a wild lifestyle far from God, and then God captured his heart, and he came back to God. He said, if I'm going to follow God, I am all in. So he actually became a tattoo artist, Partly because he loves that, and partly because he says, you know, when I'm spending four or five hours putting ink on someone, they can't go anywhere. So we have these great conversations, deep conversations, and it allows me to share my faith with them. Imagine that. You go to get your, your, your fancy tattoos, and the, and, the, and the artist there is talking about God. But he said, my, my friend said, you, here's what happened to my son this summer. He said, God, I, I want to be obedient to whatever you call me to do. And so one day, he goes to the parking lot of Home Depot. He's, he's going to Home Depot. And in the parking lot, when he gets out of his car, God says, see that man across the parking lot? I want you to go over to him, and I want you to tell him that I love him, that God loves him. Now, that's, that's risky. I mean, imagine all the things that could happen if you walk up to a stranger in the Home Depot parking lot and said, ah, excuse me, but I just want to tell you that I think God told me that he wants you to know that he loves you. But that's what my friend's son does. He walks across the parking lot. He goes up to the guy, excuse me, I just really sense God saying that he wants you to know how much he loves you. And the man breaks down in tears, begins to weep like crazy. Turns out he was at Home Depot to buy some rope so he could go home and hang himself. And that morning, he had cried out to God. He said, God, if you're real, if you're there, I need to know that you love me. And so God used tattoo artist guy in a parking lot of Home Depot to change this guy's life. God changed his life, but through his willingness to take a risk and be obedient. Pretty cool, right? Now, you might be saying, look, look yeah, I love this story, but look, I'm a good Baptist. I don't do Home Depot parking lot encounters, which I, I, I totally get. I totally get that. But well, let's not be too quick to just write that type of thing off. I mean, you don't learn to wake surf in a day, and, and you don't necessarily learn to, to hear everything that the Spirit says 
without some practicing, without trying and listening, without taking some risks. And, and imagine what would happen if, if God did that among us, if we were like, yeah, I sense the Spirit saying, and God was actually working. It would be powerful in our city, wouldn't it? But if you're saying, yeah, yeah, no, no, it's a, no problem. If that's too far of a stretch, I get it. I, I get it. Let me tell you another story I heard, uh, again, from somebody personally. This is like one person removed. They, uh, they uh, were uh, telling me about one of the Immerse students that they work with. Immerse is this amazing um, um, training program that our seminary has that is both learning and doing. What a concept, right? And, um, and this young lady, part of the Immerse program, was on a cruise. It was Easter time. And they were going to be on the ship on Easter Sunday. And so she, uh, I think she met another couple, and they said, you know, it would be so nice to have an Easter service on this massive cruise ship with these thousands of people that are here. And I mean, we just, they went to the cruise director and said, can we have just like a little room where we could have like a Sunday morning Easter service? And the cruise director said, well, I don't have a little room for you, but I can give you like the main stage in the main auditorium that seats like 2,000 people or something big. And I'm like, oh, that's a little awkward, but okay. And then the cruise director put out, as they do every day, apparently like a, a list of like, you can do this at 10 and this at 11 and, and the, you know, like all of these different things you could do. And then one, and there was one little line, Easter service, main auditorium. <clears throat> and on that morning, on that morning, they had over a thousand people show up for an Easter morning service. And it was nothing fancy. I mean, they had no band. They, they literally took some YouTube videos with some hymns on it with the words and they sing, you know, worship karaoke. And then, and then one of the guys got up and he preached a very simple sermon. He said, look, holidays are great, but sometimes we go on holidays because we want to escape all of the pressures of life. And in fact, Jesus will walk with you through those. He'll give you new life. And then they invited people to pray afterwards. And she said, they, she said all kinds of people came forward and prayed. And, 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 and people were crying and weeping and God was working in powerful ways. And all, all because a couple of people said, well, let's ask the cruise director if we can have a, a service. They just took a little risk, and God worked in powerful ways. In fact, she said that she spent the rest of the week, that young lady spent the rest of the week by the pool, discipling people to follow Jesus. And it had such a profound impact on her life. She said, I want to do this for my life. And she came home and, and signed up to go on uh, the ship with uh, Operation Mobilization to become a long-term missionary, all because they took a risk. Imagine that. Imagine what happens when we take a risk and do what God calls us to do. If you want to be great in the kingdom, if you want to actually practice, if you actually practice what Jesus calls you to, it will require risks. The disciples went out and did what Jesus called them to do. They went to these risky places, and here's what happened when they get back. Here's what Luke says. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Lord, it was better than we expected. Even the powers of darkness had to submit to what you were doing through little old us. Look at that. It was worth the risk. They came back filled with excitement and joy for what, was God, what God was doing with them. It was worth the risk. Now, the risks that we're taking aren't just when we're out on mission. We take all kinds of risks. Like, for instance, when there's conflict in our life and God, and we're obedient to, to handle it the way Jesus calls us to. That's a risky thing. Or when it comes to our money, 
and, and, and we're obedient to what Jesus says to give to the poor and the needy, to, to give towards the ministry of, of what God is doing in the world. And we say, yeah, well, the inflation is high these days and, and our money doesn't go so far. It's a risk to say, we're going to trust you, Jesus. And we're going to see what happens if we are faithful to what you call us to. It's a risk to, to listen to what Jesus says when it comes to fear and anxiety and say, I know that I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to trust God with my family members that I love, with my, with my job, whatever it is. And I'm just going to trust him. That's risky stuff. But it's worth it. It's worth the risk. Because God works in all kinds of ways when we're faithful to what Jesus calls us to do. But here's the thing about taking a risk. A, a, a risk requires courage, and we don't always have the courage that we need. At least I don't always have the courage that I need. Uh, you know, on, on that day when I went wake surfing, I really wanted to do it. I was watching the kids. They were having so much fun. But I also, I didn't know if I really wanted to do it. I mean, a million, a million excuses is like, you know, I'm on the boat. It's dry and warm here, and the water is wet and cold, and 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 really, it's for the kids. It's not so much for me. And and I have a bad knee. I don't want to injure the knee. And 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 plus, our good friends had already dragged my kids back and forth on the lake for an hour or two, and I didn't want to take up more of their time, but. But at a deeper level, I was like, yeah, but what if I get in the water and I don't get up? What if they drag me around and around and they can't pick up around again? Or what if I get up and I look stupid? Maybe I did, but, but like I had all these, these things. So I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do that. And then my daughter, my youngest daughter who had been out doing it, she said, Dad, are you going to do it? I said, I don't know. She said, Dad, you should do it. It'll be so much fun. Yeah? Oh, yeah, Dad, you could totally do it. You, you should do it. Yeah, you think, okay, my daughter thinks I can do it. I'm like, give me the life jacket. Get me in the water before I change my mind. Let's do this thing, right? Look, there's something powerful about doing hard things or things outside of our comfort zone with others. They give us the encouragement. They instill in us the courage. They, they prod us to do what it is that otherwise we would be hesitant to do. Look, uh, this is why Jesus sends out his disciples two by two. He doesn't just say, hey, you go on your own, you go on your own. He says, you go together because together there's strength, there's encouragement, there's support. They've, you've got one another's back. See, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, if you want to do what he practice, practice what he says, if you want to take risks, then you have to run with others. Greatness requires community. Practicing Jesus' commands requires community because it takes courage to do what Jesus calls us to do. And we get that courage from one another. We, we often borrow courage from someone else to do what, what we know is right because they believe in us because they want to do the same thing because we're walking together. I mean, this is just a human thing. We find strength to do what we need to do in relationships with others who are on the same journey. That's why we uh, are more likely to exercise if we have an exercise partner. More likely to diet if we have someone who else is, someone else who is dieting with us. It's why armies send soldiers out, not as individuals, but in platoons and squadrons, because there's something about doing it together that gives courage and strength and power to what is being done. 
And that means that if we're going to be faithful to what, do what Jesus calls us to do, it's important that we walk together in community. It's important that in our community groups, in the relationships that we have, that we spur one another on to love and to good deeds. But we must actually do that when we're in those relationships. In 1948, Douglas Hyde was the editor of The Daily Worker, which was the newspaper of the Communist Party of Great Britain. In other words, he was one of the highest, most devoted followers of communism in the nation of England, of, of Great Britain, in 1948. And in that year, 1948, he came to the realization that communism was failing, that it does not save the world. And so he abandoned this political movement that he had given his life to, and instead he found faith and hope and life in Jesus Christ. But when he joined the church in Great Britain in 1948, he was shocked by what he discovered. He discovered a group of people who knew what they believed but failed to, to challenge one another, to actually live it out. And so what he discovered was a group of people who kind of cowered in the corner and, and felt that they were just this tiny minority against this onslaught of the secularism of the society. And here's what he writes. Coming straight, as it were, from one world to another, it astounded me that there should be people with such numbers at their disposal and with the truth on their side, going around weighed down by the thought that they were a small, beleaguered minority carrying on some sort of impossible fight against the big majority. The very concept was wrong. Psychologically, it was tumultuous. See, the, the Communist Party in Britain in 1945 had only 45,000 members. Nothing compared to the church, even though the church was in a minority at that time as well. But the Communist Party believed that even though they were a minority, if they lived out what they believed, that they would make a difference in the world. But he joined a church that was much larger. That didn't actually call one another to practice what Jesus preached. In fact, he writes this. Since so little is asked of Christians by their leaders, and so much is asked of communists by theirs, Christians have small cause for complaint if they seem to make little impact upon the larger community of which they are part of. We cannot afford to be a group of people who don't spur one another to action, who don't call one another to actually live out what Jesus commands us to do which means we need to build the kind of relationships that are based on love and care and knowing one another. And then we need to inspire courage in one another to do what Jesus calls us to when, and especially when, it's hard and it's risky. But for that to be effective means we need to go deeper. We need to go deeper in our groups. We need to talk not only about information. It's important. Doctrine is so valuable. We hold it in high regard here. But not just more information, not just more doctrine, but action. Living it out. Which means that we need to go deeper in openness and honesty in our groups. We need to, to be more authentic about the real challenges that we face. And we face all kinds of challenges. And we need to build the kinds of relationships that say, look, I know it's hard. I understand where you're coming from, but, but Jesus calls us to this. And you can do this. And I know you can. And I believe that you can. 
And I'll walk with you and I'll stand here and I have your back. So let's go and do what he calls us to do. We've got to keep calling one another to practice, to do what Jesus says. Otherwise, we'll end up being a small, beleaguered minority, seemingly doing an impossible task, rather than 72 disciples that come back to Jesus and say, Lord, even the powers of darkness had to submit to what you're doing here in our city, here among our friends and our neighbors and our community. Here's what Jesus says. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. When we practice what Jesus commands, we become more like Jesus. But the way that we do that is when we walk together in community and we step out and we begin to do what he calls us to do. And it's happening here in all kinds of ways. In fact, uh, a couple of young men, I met them just the other day uh, when we were, uh, at, we had our, our prayer night, our prayer and worship night for, um, uh, for the, the youth, for the next generation. And at one point, uh, we got up and we began to pray for our youth leaders. And, and I just, I met these two men and, uh, and they are going to, uh, they are going to be youth leaders for our grade six boys. That my friends, takes courage. Here, listen to this story. Listen to what, what they have to say. Earlier, earlier this year, um, I'd say like beginning of like September this year, um, I was kind of at like a standstill um, um, in, in my faith. Like I wasn't really doing anything to like pursue it. Like I still fully believed in God and I was still fully a Christian. I, I, I believed, but, you know, after, you know, that, that can only last, or at least in my experience, that can only last so long. I've always been like, for the past like, couple of years, especially through COVID, I was like constantly being told, like, hey, you should be a youth leader. Like, I think it'll be great. And I almost like would just scoff at that thought, like, why, like, I don't, like, I, who am I to teach these kids? I felt like people wouldn't take me seriously if I started to um, really show my faith and like, that was definitely the biggest thing was just to get the judgment of people of like what I would imagine they were saying in their minds at the time. It was at January last year or this year where Tristan and I just got a text on my phone of like, hey, we're doing a community group like like for your guys' age. Um, and I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> um, Even then, I was a bit skeptical, like, like, oh, I don't really know if I want to go to that. Like, it might just be like, you know, I'm, I might not like that. Like. Like, I, I was honestly thinking that it, it might even be like a waste of my time. Like, is this even worth going? I had that conviction at that time and I was like, oh my gosh, this is my opportunity. This is like, this is where I can go in. And similar to Dylan, I had that same thought of like, okay, I'll try this out. Um, more so to say that like, I tried it and didn't like it, but we both left that night feeling like, that was amazing. Like, I wanna go back and I'm going to go back every time. Going forward, I plan to try out being a youth leader for a month and um, just seeing if that will um, fit right for me and just seeing if I can fit into that. And then I also just plan on just to keep going with Tristan's small group. Yeah, my Nana, I remember my Nana said something. She was like, there's always a time in someone's faith where, yeah, they're gonna be at church and they're gonna smell the sermons. They're gonna like, you know, take everything. But there's a time where we have to like actually go out and 
spread that what we've been taught. And so um, that's like, I think that's the biggest thing of just like not actually being a lukewarm Christian where you're just like taking everything and like kind of like being selfish in your faith, but to like go out and have the trust in God of like actually preaching what you've been taught and then pursuing that and just like letting the Holy Spirit build your faith is like, it's a really a rewarding thing. Isn't that cool? I mean, God is at work. God is at work among us when we get walk in community with others. And then when we begin to step out and actually do what he calls us to do. God will go with us. God will work in us and do the work in us as we are faithful to do it. You remember the story of the Israelites when they left Egypt? They left the captivity of Egypt and God led them to the promised land. And they stood across the Jordan River and God said, see this land flowing with milk and honey? I want to give this land to you. I will give this land to you. But you still have to go in and take it. It doesn't just arrive on a gold platter. You have to cross the Jordan River. I'm going to make the way, but you have to cross. You have to face the walls of Jericho. I'll be there, and I will do the work, but you have to go and do what I say. And that's what they did. They crossed together. They, they prayed together. They, they worshiped God together. They went up against Jericho together. They dealt with the, the setbacks together, and they watched as they were faithful to be obedient to what God said, that God gave them the land. This fall, that's where we're going to go. We keep teaching the word of God. But the call for us, the focus is to practice, to go and to do that God might do beautiful things through us and that he might receive the glory. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God Almighty, we thank you that you sent Jesus to show us the way, the way to life, the way to know you, the way to, to live for you. But God, we also acknowledge that what Jesus calls us to runs counter to the culture in so many ways. That he calls us to give our lives, to gamble everything on him, and then to trust him to do what he says. Oh God, grant us the courage to do and not just move, to, to, to literally say, okay, let's do this thing. God, help us to take the risks that your spirit calls us to, that your word calls us to, and then to watch and see as you, as you work, that even the demons have to, have to move before the power of, of you at work through us as a church, through us in our lives as we're faithful, God. And God, help us to walk in community Lord, I pray for those who, who, who struggle around and say, I don't know. I should, Lord, would you grant them just courage to come and walk, run together with us, be part of a community, God, so that, so that we can do what you call us to. God, so that you would be shaped and formed in our own lives, that we'd become more like Jesus, and so that we would impact our world for your name's sake. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for coming and joining us today. It's the beginning of this fall season. It's the beginning of this season where we're going to walk together and say, God, what are you speaking to me? What is it that you want to do in my life? Where is it that I need to practice what you preach? Where is it that I need to practice what it is you call me to so that my life will be used by you and I'll become more like you? Listen to what the Spirit says to you today and then do what he calls you to do. Let me send you out with these words. 
The Apostle Paul, after writing of the, the greatness and the sovereignty of God, says this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his path beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. May you live in the trust and the confidence that you have in God. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you next Sunday.